In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Before we get into this week's episode, though, I want to take a quick moment to mention two wildfire themes coming up that I want to put on your radar. First, we have a new issue coming out in a couple of weeks. This is our mental health issue in which we dive into stories of identity and aftermath and how breast cancer rocks both. That issue is in the final stages now and will go live on December 10th. And I want to inspire you to put pen to paper for another theme as always, right? This issue that I am currently gathering stories for is our first ever long-term survivorship stories issue. This issue will be made up of stories from people diagnosed five or more years ago now. Whether you're living without evidence of disease or you are in active treatment for stage four or a local reoccurrence, either way, I want to know what these five plus years have taught you. What has living in the glare of breast cancer taught you about living? We know living is so much more than surviving, but I want to know how. How has that personally played out for you? Tell your story in 1,200 words or less and send it to editor at wildfirecommunity.org by December 30th. Happy writing. Okay, on to today's story. My guest today is Kelly Franks. In early adolescence, Kelly developed a deep sense of wanderlust that continues to grow each year of her life. She loves going on adventures of any kind, from visiting U.S. national parks with her family, 35 of them so far, to hiking on local trails. It's in these moments that Kelly feels most alive and present with the people she loves. When she's not exploring, Kelly spends her free time doing yoga, reading, drinking tea, making new vegetarian and vegan recipes, and trying to find travel Kelly joy in the everyday moments. Kelly lives in Oxford, Ohio with her husband, 16-year-old daughter, and 14-year-old son, all of whom are taller than her. Kelly is a social, rather, I'm sorry, start that again. Kelly is a school social worker. She was diagnosed at 36 first with stage 2B invasive ductal carcinoma, and then at 41, she was diagnosed with stage 4 metastatic breast cancer. Welcome to The Burn, Kelly. Hi, April. Thanks so much for having me today. Of course. Thank you. So, Kelly, you are here to read a piece you wrote for our sixth annual body issue, which came out just this past summer in June 2022. The piece that you are going to read for us is called Slideshow. After you read, we will chat. And those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. 
All right, Kelly, I'll let you take it away. Slideshow. Click. Standing in front of the double sink in our master bathroom, I wrap my wet hair in a towel, a twist on top of my head. My arms are raised and the dimple on the underside of my left breast reflects back at me in the mirror. Moving my arms up and down, I watch the dimple appear and disappear. Frantically, I feel around my breast and there is a lump I've never noticed before on the underside near my ribs. It's a Tuesday morning in early September 2014. I am 36. Click. I have chemo on Thursday mornings and attend graduate school courses afterwards in the evening. I am jittery from the steroids and don't trust myself to drive, so a young classmate agrees to be my chauffeur. To make others feel more comfortable, I wear a wig that doesn't look or feel like me in a Christmas picture for our department. After arriving home from class at 10 p.m., I do chores until 2 a.m., unable to rest until the steroids finally wear off. Click. On a sunny day in June 2015, my family and friends wait on my front lawn, signs and noisemakers in hand, to surprise me when I return from my last radiation treatment. My husband, kids, and I pose on the front walk with the posters while friend after friend takes pictures. That afternoon, we take our 1979 Hobie Cot sailboat for a celebratory sail at the state park. We get caught in a terrible storm. The wind whips the sail and two of the battens fly loose. The boat lifts up out of the water in the wind and slams back down. As my husband frantically paddles, I point to the nearest dock, instructing my kids to swim that way if the boat flips. They are seven and eight years old. This was supposed to be a relaxing celebratory afternoon. My chest is covered in burns and blisters from radiation, and I've been instructed to keep my skin as dry as possible. I feel a rush of adrenaline, and I know that I will do absolutely anything to keep my family safe. Miraculously, we make it to shore and take cover until the storm passes. It will be almost two years before we have the courage to take the boat out again. Click. It's November 2015, six weeks after a laparoscopic hysterectomy and partial oophorectomy, and I am running a 5K race with my daughter. Nine months after finishing chemo, my hair has regrown into a soft crown of brown curls, and I look like any other adult running partner. My body feels strong and capable, and I'm thrilled to be able to complete the race with my daughter. We both beam with pride at our accomplishment. Life is starting to feel more normal, like the days before cancer. Click. My son and I attend a mother-son dance in late January 2016. He's in second grade. I'm wearing a navy knit dress with a matching belt and brown boots. He dons a navy blazer, plaid tie, and khaki pants. If I walk carefully and pose at the right angle, the drain that was reinserted into my mid-back a few days earlier is not visible. It is a complication from the latissimus dorsi flap surgery I had the month before. I sobbed in the hospital bed while waiting for the drain procedure, explaining to the nurse about the dance and how much I was looking forward to it. Once there, I feel grateful that my son is young and doesn't really like to dance. 
We share one slow dance after some motherly pleading. I hold him as close as he'll let me, making sure that when his hands are wrapped around my waist, he doesn't bump the drain. Click. In June 2016, my husband and I take a delayed trip to Italy to celebrate our 10th, now 11th, wedding anniversary. It feels luxurious to have leisurely adult time together in gorgeous cities. I have just graduated with my master's degree, a two-year-long process that coincided almost perfectly with my cancer diagnosis and treatment. A few days after we return from Italy, I have the final reconstruction surgery, the implant exchange. Later that week, my co-leader and I take our daughter's Girl Scout troop to Girl Scout camp. The 10-year-old girls help carry my belongings and assist the co-leader with the tasks I can't do. Click. It's August 2016, the third day of my new post-cancer job, and I am in the ER. The stabbing pain in my lower back leaves me breathless in tears. I am barely able to walk. The pain is excruciating. Tamoxifen causes considerable pain and stiffness to my joints, and as I swing my legs out of bed each morning, it takes me a few minutes and a hobble down the hallway to stand fully upright. But this is different. The CT scans reveal sizable ovarian cysts and the first glimpses of new questionable spots on my liver and lungs. My oncologist is consulted, but there is no mention of biopsy or recurrence. I am sent home. Click, 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 click. For almost three years, I embraced survivorship. Our active family hikes, camps, and travels. I accept a full-time dream job working for my kids' school district. I join a gym, lift weights, and participate in group workouts. I find an incredible yoga studio that feels like home and helps me develop a dedicated yoga practice to regain flexibility and range of motion lost from surgery. I watch my kids grow and thrive. My husband continues to hold me very close. I cherish the big and small moments, so grateful for the opportunity to experience all of them. I am still vigilant about my health, attending all follow-up visits and going for regular ultrasounds to monitor the ovarian cysts that grow and shrink. Month by month, my body and my breath feel lighter and stronger. Click. A series of blood test scans and a liver biopsy in June 2019 confirm that the cancer has returned and spread. It is now stage four, my worst nightmare come true. The spots on my liver and lungs are bigger now, and a bone scan reveals bone metastases in my spine, skull, ribs, sternum, pelvis, clavicle, femur, and humerus. I begin a new treatment regimen immediately. I am 41. Click. Between August and December 2019, I opt for surgery to have the rest of my ovaries removed and my daughter has her first period. I weep with relief that she has made it to 13 and a half years old before reaching menarche. I had my first period two weeks before my 12th birthday, a well-known risk factor for breast cancer. I reflect on the irony that with the last of my femininity permanently removed from my body, 
my daughter has reached womanhood. We are bookends of female reproduction. Click. It's June 2020, and my family drives our camper from Ohio to Colorado, where we can safely explore beautiful natural areas and get a break from the pandemic. We climb to the summit of Mount Elbert, a 14,433-foot Colorado mountain peak. My five-foot, four-inch frame and stride are no match for my six-foot, two-inch husband and my two cross-country running kids. When my mind starts to doubt my body's ability to make it to the summit, I employ every mindfulness strategy I know to stay calm and catch my breath. My muscles are strong, but eyebrance causes difficulty with breathing and lung capacity, especially at this elevation. I count my steps. At times, I cry in fear and frustration. On the side of the mountain, it's easy to work my way through a five senses exercise. Five things I can see, four things I can feel, three things I can hear, two, one. My 12-year-old son stops periodically to make sure I'm okay, waiting for me to catch up. My heart soars with pride at his care and concern. This is the third 14er we have climbed as a family, all of them since my cancer diagnosis. At the summit, I weep and made it. I am a mere speck on the mountain. Living is bigger than cancer at this moment. Click. In January 2021, most of our school district returns to -to face-to-face learning. My kids and I continue to stay home due to my very low white blood cell and absolute neutrophil counts. The next few months will be some of our hardest during the pandemic as we watch so many people return to normal while we remain vigilant at home. I am incredibly fearful and anxious. I begin to see a therapist. In early February, I received my first COVID vaccine as a school district employee, and I weep with relief. Click. In September 2021, I request a second opinion at a university integrative oncology center two hours from home. Moments after entering the building, my husband and I feel the energy shift from a focus on illness to a focus on wellness. Over the next few months, my treatment will remain virtually the same, but a flood of new ideas and resources will become available to us. I begin to feel like myself again both physically and mentally. I begin to have hope again for my future, for our future. Click. In the cold days of January and February 2022, I load my backpacking backpack with a 12-pound kettlebell and wear it around my house while I cook dinner and do chores. I am training for a four-day, 29-mile hike on the Appalachian Trail. It's exciting to make plans and preparations for this longtime dream. Every day, I work to build strength and stamina in my body while also setting an itinerary that is realistic for my treatment-related limitations. I form a women's hiking group with some friends, and we spend Sunday mornings hiking local trails, working our bodies, absorbing the natural scenes around us, and building a sisterhood. Click. Today, as I write this, my 44th birthday is three weeks away. With all of the physical and emotional changes from seven and a half years of living with cancer, I am working to accept and love my new body.
instead of looking at the distorted animation that occurs in my chest from the breast mound reconstruction. I want to feel the strength of the latissimus dorsi muscle that was pulled from my back through my chest wall to assist the radiated breast skin in accepting reconstruction. Instead of feeling disgusted by the menopause belly that permanently resides at my waist, I want to feel relief that cancer-feeding estrogen is no longer raging through my veins. Instead of crying over thinning hair and virtually non-existent eyelashes, I want to feel gratitude for time saved not shaving or applying makeup. Since the MBC diagnosis, I treat my body like a deity, offering it regular gifts of exercise, rest, vitamins and supplements, vegan meals, fresh cold-pressed juices, acupuncture and massage in exchange for strength, endurance, and resilience. At times, these offerings are accompanied by begging and pleading for more time, more strength, more energy. This body, which grew the largest betrayal imaginable, was also once the vessel that grew my beloved children. The greatest betrayal and the greatest gift, all sharing a home together in the same sacred space. The only body I will be given, the body I am learning to forgive and cherish, the body I depend on each day to survive for the next. Mm, thank you so much for that, Kelly. That was beautiful. Thank you. All right. Let's take a little break here and we will come back and dig into your story. Hi, friends. There is now a wildfire book in the world. It is a big, beautiful compilation of my favorite essays from Wildfire Magazine, spanning all the way back to our first ever issue in 2016, up to the summer of 2022. This book took years to create and is literally the resource I wish I had had when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. This book is called Igniting the Fire Within, and it's made up of 50 essays that really dig into the experience of having breast cancer in our 20s, 30s, and 40s. Every stage of breast cancer is represented from DCIS to stage four, from all sorts of walks of life from all around the world. Our writers go deep and get vulnerable to heal their own experiences and to let others like you know that you're not alone you will find yourself within these pages. Get Igniting the Fire Within, stories of healing, hope, and humor inside today's young breast cancer community on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle now. Curl up with it today. Hi, my name is Lindsay Valamek. I live in central Illinois and was diagnosed with stage one triple negative breast cancer at age 33 in 2016. I recently attended a free wildfire pop-up writing workshop for the young breast cancer community. Sitting in community with all of the amazing women on the call felt like a literal breath of fresh air, even though the topics we wrote about were heavy. I had no idea I needed something like this until after it was done. My heart felt so full. After the workshop, I immediately followed this podcast and subscribed to Wildfire Magazine. I look forward to diving into all of this amazing content. I also am already thinking about how I can contribute to future editions of the magazine. Thank you, April, and thank you, Wildfire. Thank you so much for the love, Lindsay. Welcome back, Kelly. Thank you again for your powerful writing and for reading that for us today. Thank you. So I want to get into your story. I 
there's so many places I want to dig into it, but I am most excited to, first of all, ask you about hiking the Appalachian Trail because you mentioned in your story that you were training for it at the time of writing it. I know now that you did get to go on that trip this summer. So can you give us a little update on that trip and also where you are these days? Yeah. So I originally was scheduled um, to hike the Appalachian Trail at the end of June. And um, I tested positive for COVID um, about a week before I was supposed to leave. So um, that was pretty devastating, um, mostly to have um, just avoided COVID for so long. And then um, to be positive right before this big trip was planned. Um, And so luckily, my friend that I was hiking with, Lori, um, we were able to just push the trip back by a week and, um, and still go, which was awesome. And so, you know, basically like day 12 after COVID we took off and, um, we had an awesome hike. It was so hard. Um, it was so satisfying, but it was really difficult. And, um, but it was so reassuring to me as we were hiking to see Lori, who is, so fit and thin and active and healthy to see her having the same struggles with the hike that I was having. Um, and it, it just really kind of helped remind me that like, this feels hard cause it's hard and it's hard for all kinds of people, not just, you know, people like me with cancer. So that, um, was really awesome. I'm really proud of myself and it just was also really important for me to have my kids see me doing something like that, that I had always dreamed of doing and that I was able to be successful. And, um, and so as we were hiking, there were times when Lori and I would reflect on just, you know, that there was nobody but us that could complete this hike for us. Um, you know, people could cheer us on or they Mm. could help us know what to pack or they could, you know, um, help us get mentally ready, but ultimately it was just up to us to put one foot in front of the other and, and get it done and work through the rain or work through the challenges or work through, um, you know, the, the aches and pains to make it happen. So it was a really awesome experience. Mm. I love hearing that. You know, this, and I think probably our listeners do too, but I'm, um, interested in hiking and love hiking as well. And I feel like this is a really powerful metaphor, but this idea that you can only hike, you're the only one who could hike that path, but also you're the only one who can do that work. And ultimately it's only for you. You know, it's not, even though you were out there um, with so many people cheering you on and wanting to be a good example for your kids, you know, ultimately it's for you. Right. And whatever happens on that trail is for you. And it makes me think about when I've done long backpacking trips too, how many times you had to leave the trail. I don't know if this was your experience, but I remember having to frequently leave the trail because of downed trees or it was washed out or something had affected the trail so that traveling it was going to be a different experience for me than maybe the person who had gone before me or what the map said or what the expectation was. And I had to figure out how to be okay 
with the fact that the timeline would probably be different. The experience of it would be different. The bruises on my body might be different because I had to climb a tree to like get out of a gulch or whatever. Is that your experience as well? Or how is that? I don't know. How does that land for you? Well, kind of the joke was that Lori's husband and a friend had done the same section of trail we did, but the summer before, and they also did it in the reverse order. And so um, we kind of decided that this way was the right way for us. And then um, we kind of just laughed the whole time because we're like, oh my gosh, this was not easier, you know? And as we looked at the elevation, it was really interesting to see that um, our uphill elevation, our elevation gain and our elevation loss were almost exactly the same number. So we just kept doing this roller coaster of like up and then down and then up and then down and then up and then down. And so, um, and so that's part of why it felt so hard because we weren't really hiking on, you know, level ground, but, you know, at the same time, it just, I think that added to part of the satisfaction of just saying, you know, we set this itinerary for ourselves and we basically have to get to this destination by dinner tonight. And, and if we get there at four o'clock, then we just get to hang out. And if we get there at seven o'clock, then we just have less time and either way we're going to get there. And, you know, that was nice. So I feel like we, you know, allowed ourselves the grace to take a break and, um, have a snack or, you know, enjoy the scenery and things. And that was really our goal in going together is that we both knew we wanted not just the physical achievement of doing this and doing it quick and doing a gazillion miles, but that we really wanted to just be able to enjoy the trail and look at things around us <laughs> and the beauty of that as well. Um, and then of course we just talked the whole time we were telling each other stories and um, about growing up and about our families and our children, our close friends. So we would talk about our kids and, you know, um, and then just uh, so that was at the end of or the beginning of July, really. And then at the end of August, Lori and her family moved to England. Um, and we knew at the time, not when we planned the hike, but when we departed for the hike that they were leaving. So that just made it even more special because I got to have her all those days to myself. Um, and that was really lovely. So, um, so, you know, when we got finished, we were like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And if we knew what we know now, would we do it again? And and she wasn't so sure, but now I'm like, yes, we would absolutely in a second. Oh, I love that. And, you know, so much of what you're describing for me resonates as trust, like trust in the process, trust we're going to get there, trust in your companion, you know, to just take take her own path, but take it beside you. Um, I mean, so much metaphor there, right? Yes. For For the cancer experience. Yes. What do you bring from these hikes with you into your into your cancer, would you say? Well, I think for me, um, you know, being in the woods and hiking is just really the only place that like my brain is quiet and it's not silent because it's still going. But I just get kind of that um, just bigger perspective, I guess, of not just focusing so much 
on the cancer. And there's something really satisfying about just knowing like everything I need right now is on my back. And if it's not in my pack, then (laughs) I'm going to have to find a way to go without it or come up with another solution. And of course, there's so many metaphors to that, right? With cancer that just you know, I have all these tools and I can only carry and use so many of them at a time. And, um, that doesn't mean I'm not going to put this down and pick something else up later, but like right now today or this week, this is what I have. And I got to figure out how to make it work the best it can for me. Mm, I love that. And I mean, you've been hiking this cancer path for seven years in your story. So, you know, a little more than that now, since we published it earlier. Um, that's just such valuable advice. I really love that. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Thanks. I want to turn back to your story. Um, this is such a beautiful story of these little snapshots of moments, you know, sprinkled throughout your cancer experience. And I imagine that you probably wrote or thought about a lot of moments and some of them ended up on the cutting room floor, as we say. So not everyone made it into the story, which gives extra weight to the ones that did. And I want to just bring us back to one moment in your story that really um, was really descriptive in a way that I was really picturing it. I think it had a lot of drama in it too. But this is the the boat ride, this really scary boat ride you had after um, completing radiation. I'm just curious to hear from you a little bit more about why this memory sticks in your mind and what, I guess, what it was telling you at the time and what now kind of resonates from that moment. Yeah. Well, in that summer, actually, that happened in June. And then in July was when we climbed the first 14er together as a family. And I remember just after climbing that. Um, you know, my friend was like, Kelly, what a cool metaphor. Like you guys just climbed this mountain in your life. And now you're actually physically climbing this mountain together. You know, what a cool way to kind of wrap this all up. Um, and you know, that wasn't really intentional, but it was just like an awesome (laughs) afterthought gift. But the boat trip was just, um, It was so scary because I just remember thinking like my kids are too young to have to know how to handle this. Right. And, and they had life jackets on and they could, we could see the dock, but having to kind of say, I don't know that I'm going to be able to carry you to this dock. So I have to show you where it is and I have to tell you how to get there. And I will watch and you guys just might have to do this because if the boat flips, like, I don't know where we're all going to land. And, you know, they had just been so amazing during all of my treatment. And we had always been really honest with them about what was happening and, you know, what the side effects were going to be and everything. So to have them kind of be a part of that celebration earlier in the day, and then also to just kind of be like, okay, guys, here goes. And it was also just a really good story of my husband and I just like working together in a crisis and, you know, trying 
to do the best we could to keep us all safe and, you know, intact. So it was, it really shook us. And I mean, I am, uh, my husband is just such a like calm, collected person and it really shook him. And that just doesn't happen that often. So, um, it was kind of like, oh my gosh. And, and like I said, it took us, um, it was like two years before we even felt even on a beautiful, sunny, totally clear day, which it was when we left that day. Like we're just, we were very reluctant to try again because it was just pretty traumatic. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, metaphors abound, but it's, you know, it wasn't supposed to go that way. Right. Like right. I hear that so much from people about this arrival of cancer. Like why it wasn't supposed to be like this. I had all these other plans and it was a, you know, a clear sailing day and then things go awry. So there's that metaphor. And then there's also so much richness in there about your kids having to do something potentially on their own that you can't do for them or, or get them to that, that dock on the other side. And I'm thinking about you living with, with metastatic breast cancer now and having to parent kind of with this, this umbrella now. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they're teenagers now and, um, you know, there's all these parenting moments that everybody is going through, but I just feel like there's so much more weight to them in our family, because, you know, there are just things that I am trying, um, just to coach them through or to help them think about. Um, and you know, my goal honestly is just that they'll always kind of hear my voice in their head, like, Oh, you know, someday, like my mom's not here to tell me how to do this, but like, I know what she would say, or, you know, she told me about this years ago and I didn't even realize that this is what she was telling me, you know, and now I know what she meant, you know, that's uh-huh. my goal. Um, but that, you know, comes about now and just these simple little day-to-day teenagery conflicts that, you know, everybody is dealing with, but, you know, I just, they feel so much more significant to me, you know, for that reason. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I think that they are heavier now. Like there's no, there's no denying that they are. Um, but I love the legacy of, of having your voice and having your stories um, to guide them. And also the family experiences of having endured and overcome. And I think that's why we go into nature, you know, is to learn these lessons of how, how to survive, you know, in these ways that, that help us get through the other hard things too. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Just this week, my son was, um, had an assignment for school. They were submitting this 100 word essay to the New York times for this writing contest for high school students. And so I had to give consent for him to do that, but I, I was teasing him, you know, well, I'll sign, I'll sign this, but you have to let me read what you wrote. And cause I wasn't sure he would. And and he, his 100 words were about that trip in our camper out to Colorado during the pandemic. And it was just so, it just, I mean, it just struck me so much that he, in, in those 100 words, was so able to capture just kind of the weight of how the pandemic 
further complicated our situation and just how that trip was 100% necessary for us as a family to, you know, be together and do the things that we wanted to do. And it was it just like, I loved it. So I thought, okay, this is, you know, this is really good. And I just was really proud of him for what he chose to write, you know. I love that. I, um, it's funny you should mention that because I'm working with my daughter on her hundred word story as well, um, for the same project. And I, yeah, and I've thought about it a lot. You know, if we were to tell our breast cancer stories in hundred words, like what, what would make the cut and what wouldn't? So it's a really good, it's a really good practice. Yeah. As I was reading the prompt, I thought this is something April would really like. (laughs) April should know about this. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Well, I could talk to you all day about hiking and writing and lessons learned in cancer land, but unfortunately we've reached the end. So Kelly, where can people find you online and follow your adventures? Well, um, probably my Instagram, which is inconsistent, um, is the best place. It's uh, my name, Kelly E. Franks. Um, And that's really it. That's just where I post pictures or just thoughts. So Perfect. Excellent. We'll link to you for sure. Well, thank you so much for being here, Kelly, and reading your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, April. Wildfire has just been such a gift for me. And so it's just a really huge privilege for me to be able to do this today. So thank you so much. Oh, warms my heart. Thank you. Well, I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our now 39 issues in the Wildfire Archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There is no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And if you haven't yet downloaded it, I made a 20-page printable journal just for you with some of my favorite writing prompts and inspiration from the last year of The Burn. Be sure to grab yours at wildfirecommunity.org slash The Burn. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. All right, here is your writing prompt. You're going to set your timer for eight minutes a couple of different times during this one. The first thing to focus on is snapshots from your own cancer experience. Make a list of moments. These are little scenes that resonate for you from your experience. Set your timer, make a list of those scenes. Next, you'll set your timer again and write the story behind just one of those moments. How did it look? Bring in your senses, really describe it. But the real magic is in layering in your internal landscape. So next, be sure to add in how it made you feel. What did it look like? How did it make you feel? And then third, bonus, string all these scenes together into a story of transformation. How did you change through these moments into the person you are today? All right, eight minutes, write without stopping. See what needs to come up and come out and where it will take you. 
Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Next week, we'll be back with another episode that reflects on facing cancer with little ones in tow. Until then, take good care.